Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Välkomna till Vinpratarna avsnitt 65. Vi snackade ju förra veckan om Australien 2.0, vill säga, eller nya, nya världen om man vill eh, hårddra det lite grann. Och då utlovade vi också en intervju med en vinmakare som heter Nick Farr. Han representerar eh, producenten By Farr. Ett, en australiensisk producent som, som startades av Gary Farr 1978 och idag så är det då sonen Nick som har tagit över det mesta av driften. Men som vi tycker är ett bra exempel på den nya stilen i Australien. De jobbar med Pinot Noir och Syrah och till och med Gamay vilket ni får höra mer om i själva avsnittet. Ja, jag tycker att vi går rakt på sak och eh, över till intervjun med Nick Farr. Yeah. So warm welcome to Nick Farr. Is that Swedish? This is English actually. Oh, yeah. We are very happy to have you here at uh, Eriksvinbar in Stockholm. Far away from home. Far, far away. How are you? I'm very well. Thank you. Welcome. Yeah. Pleased yeah. to be in Stockholm finally so, after a few years. When yeah. did you arrive? Have, have uh, you been Tuesday. In, Tuesday. Okay. Yes. And now it's uh, Thursday. Was it so? So two days. Okay. Two days so yeah. far. Yeah. Uh, I'll do some tourist attractions tomorrow. Like okay. All good tourists should. Okay. Good. And uh, and then jetting off. Start my trek home through uh, Frankfurt, Hong Kong. Dumplings. Got to have dumplings in Hong Kong on the way home. <laughs> my fix, and then yeah, back to reality. Fantastic. Okay, cool, cool. And you just came from Burgundy, right? I just came from Burgundy. Three and a half weeks of harvest, which uh, has been a very interesting vintage, quite different to many of the others that I've experienced there. So uh, we're keen to see how these wines evolve over the next sort of six to 12 months because they seem to be quite tannic and rich wines. How many vintages have you done there? Uh, that was my ninth. Wow. Yeah, so a long tradition. Uh, my father did every vintage from 83 to 97. Uh, my sister's done two vintages. My wife's done two. So it's uh, a great relationship that we have with the Cess family. 
but Bakui, family operation. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Bakui, just um, go back to the start here for for uh, the listeners who don't know you by name. Uh, you represent by far. The, yes, and. and can you tell us a little bit about you uh, the, the produ- as, as a producer? As a producer, uh, I started making Far Rising, which uh, was my own personal brand, and I came out of university with a piece of paper and thought that I was invincible, like all good <laughs> students do, and Dad leased a winery and vineyard off a friend just down the road from where he was making wine at Bannockburn in the uh, 70s and 80s, and... I think he more or less wanted me to make every mistake I possibly could mm. in my first two years, in 2001 and 2002. I don't recommend anyone buying that wine. It's undrinkable. It may poison someone. And I achieved everything Dad wanted. I made every mistake. He uh, basically threw me in there. It was a sink or swim scenario. Yeah. And it was the greatest learning process or curve I've ever had. But was your dad who started the, the company? or He did. It, yeah. So he started Bannockburn Vineyards in the late 70s and then uh, he parted ways with them and decided to uh, pursue his own vineyards and uh, they were planted in 94, predominantly okay. in 94 and since I came back from university it's only grown and we've bought uh, neighbouring properties and We've been, Dad's been looking at the, uh, the particular site for about 40 years where it's very heavily limestone across the, the top of the surface and it was literally virgin soil. There was four cows on it for over 40 years. Okay. So it's a very special site. It's, uh, it's not a place that I love to look at. It's quite <laughs> barren. Uh, there's a real rustic sort of nature to it, but it does grow incredible fruit, incredible quality of fruit. Yeah. So quite close to Melbourne, just it's an where hour it's on west, the map. It's an hour west of Melbourne. Yeah. Hour yeah. west of Melbourne, okay. Um, but because um, to me, uh, probably to a lot of people, uh, you represent a sort of a new, whatever you call it, uh, another style of Australian wine that, that uh, at least we're, we're here in Sweden are used to. Because yes. if you say Australian wine in Sweden, uh, people think that it's... Uh, very fruity, extract, yeah, yeah yes. uh, high alcohol, very, very sunny styles. But you, you, yours is definitely more elegant, and uh, to, and also the grapes you used and all that. Yeah, it's not a new style for Australia. It just uh, the smaller producers that obviously travelled in the seventies and eighties and had a great appreciation of European wines and the way that made they're made in their climate uh, took this back to Australia, and market international markets just haven't been exposed to this this style of wine from Australia, mainly because Australian wine is driven by the big corporate scene, yeah. uh, Penfolds and the Hardys, and it's been great. It certainly opened doors for smaller producers like us and people become more interested in Australian wine, but uh, I can assure you that there's two or three great producers of every region of Australia that make wines that are a lot more delicate. Uh, they speak of the region and the country that they're grown in, but they certainly try to... Re- retain good acidity and freshness and yeah. and minerality which make them more food savvy and I think that's why we're appealing to so much of the Scandinavian market at the moment because we have this appreciation of food and wine as a combination and not necessarily how much fruit can we get in this glass and people to chew on. Ah, exactly. Yeah. But okay. do you do you export most of your stuff or do you is it consumed in Australia? We could sell every bottle in Australia but we choose we want to travel. We want to go yeah. and experience and the best way to do that 
is to to sell wine to the countries we want to, to holiday in, to visit yeah. in. So, <laughs> so uh, good for us. Yeah, well, it's great. <laughs> a smart idea. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so a little bit about the wines and the grape varieties. We have some Viognier in the glass. We have Viognier in the glass. Uh, we also make a Chardonnay, uh, three single vineyard Pinots and a Shiraz. And what our estate is made up of uh, a patchwork of different soil types. So there's five different soil types within the estate. There's only 36 acres planted of a possible 130 acres of land, uh, but we have red, black uh, volcanic soil and also some grey sandy loam. And then within that we have uh, limestone, quartz gravel, ironstone and sandstone. And we predominantly plant the Pinot and Chardonnay on the limestone to get the minerality and slatiness that we want to see and the fineness and delicate flavours that comes with that. And then for the sandstone soils, we get a lot more spicy characteristics. So that's why Shiraz and Viognier seems to thrive a lot more. Yeah. So Rhone and Burgundy varietals. Yeah. Yes. So, so can you, because of that also, can you tell us a little bit more about the, 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 the climate and I mean the, the temperatures? and the, Yes. The, yeah. I don't think people realise that there is actually cool climate in Australia. Everyone thinks it's just blazing sun yeah. all mm. the time. But uh, we have a lot of cloud cover and uh, we have the Antarctic winds come up, which uh, certainly moderate our temperature. We can get the northerly winds, which come off the centre of, of Australia and they warm things up. But we only generally get some heat spikes in January, but as long as it's cool um, to sort of mid-20s into March, uh, we have good balanced acidity. Um, we don't get overly overt and rich flavours. Um, but if you go an hour north of us uh, towards the Great Dividing Range, which protects us at the moment, um, it's a completely different environment. And yeah. that's the thing. Within uh, an hour and a half drive around, uh, the, uh, around Melbourne in any direction, you can have a completely different region, uh, completely different microclimate and soil type. So yeah. you have everything from the Mornington Peninsula that make quite floral and, and pretty pinots. You have the Yarra Valley that um, seem to achieve greater... Uh, complexity in the Cabernets, which yeah. obviously needs a, a warmer, drier climate. You then have Heathcote, uh, which is north of Melbourne, which is a Shiraz-based region. Uh, Macedon Ranges, which is the altitude um, Pinots and Chardonnays. And then you have Geelong, which is more about um, the cold winds coming off the ocean and then the fluctuation in temperature. So we have quite uh, cool nights, warm days, but then it's more soil orientated where we are. So do you work with irrigation or do you dry farm or what? Uh, we're literally driven to dry farming. Yeah. We don't have the choice of irrigation. We do use town supply water uh, whenever there's a heat spike just sure. to keep the canopy vibrant and healthy. Um, there is a commercial reality yeah. to most things. Yeah, so uh, we've completely changed and evolved with what's happened with climate and uh, where Dad was using a lot of irrigation um, back in the 80s and 90s, we've found practices in the vineyard where we don't need to do that. Mm -hmm. So we do a lot of mulching in the vineyard. Um, we put out about 600 bales of straw each year to try and uh, harbour the, the moisture that actually does fall on our property. But the best thing about that is it creates um, a great habitat for microorganisms. It helps to turn the soil for us rather than um, manipulating it with machinery. We're allowing nature to try and do more of the work for us. Uh, we're planting cover crops down the interrows, trying to feed nitrogen. So yeah. peas and vetch, if you mulch them at flowering, it injects nitrogen back into the soil. So yeah. for everything we do, we're looking for balance, whether it be in our viticulture, our winemaking, 
Um, patience and balance is key yeah. for us. And for the future generations. And for future, for future generations. generations. Yeah. So exactly. Definitely. I've planted, recently planted a, well not recently, I started planting a vineyard uh, 12 years ago and it was, it's been about 13 years in the process of actually getting clones from France, putting them in quarantine, uh, receiving four or five buds back from quarantine and then converting that into 7,500 vines per hectare, then waiting 10 years for it to actually have the substance and flavour yeah. that we want to make seriously good Pinot and Chardonnay. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm certainly reaping the rewards of my father, of what he planted when he first started off and now hopefully I'm doing the same thing for my children. Awesome. That's fascinating, yeah. So we have the Viognier in the glass. Could you tell us a bit about how it was made? This is the 2014 2014. Uh, it's 14 as a vintage is a little bit difficult because we didn't have great fruit set and... That meant that we had a lot of small undeveloped berries, which were quite green and uh, tannic and acidic. So uh, we did more foulée than we've ever done before. So foulée in French means uh, the process of foot stomping it and allowing the skin to sit um, in its own juice. And for us, most of the flavour for Viognier comes from the skins. So we're looking to extract as much phenolics and texture as possible from that. Uh, I find it the most fickle grape variety to grow. It's... Uh, so moisture intolerant and basically mm-hmm. if you drop your canopy you've got about 48 hours to pick it before all the fruit gets sunburnt and it drops, it as, drops its acidity okay. and acidity I think is key for Viognier to keep freshness and vibrancy and driving that, that line in mm-hmm. the palate but we're still trying to get varietal character and we do need some sunlight on this berry so that you can have more of that um, oily component sort of fresh apricots fresh peaches, and then you have that ginger spice mid-palate that I find really yeah. interesting. Yeah. Yep. Sometimes Viognier can get really overpowering. You mm. need, as you said, the acidity yes. to yes. carry the enormous fruit. Yep. <laughs> so at 12% alcohol, it's slightly lower, but mm. it still retains a lot of varietal character. So it's about taming the grape variety a little. Do you blend it with uh, some red, um, with Syrah sometimes? It's always, uh, there's always a small portion in our Shiraz. So it's cool. not really there as a marketing tool, which some people seem to use it as. It's more there just to uh, uh, promote the, the fruit flavour and texture and mouthfeel of the mm. wine to uh. enhance you, it. A um, little bit about the winemaking techniques. Do you use the wild yeast? Always natural yeast. Yeah. Uh, uh, we're always in French oak. Um, it's always whites and reds all go through a malolactic fermentation, yeah. so a softening of the acidity, but... We find that uh, in our environment, our malolactic levels aren't that high, so for us to have a full malo isn't um, isn't that broad or fat when you look at Chardonnay in particular. So as long as we still have austerness, we're quite happy with doing full malos. Not a lot of batonage, so leaving the, the leaves submerged mm. on the bottom, uh, keeping the, the palate a little bit tighter and more structured yeah. because of it. I love the texture. The wine. I love the texture too, yeah, super yeah, elegant. super so we're going to nice pour, pour some for uh, the Pinot 2014. Yes. Yeah. So single vineyard. Right? Yes. Yeah. Can you repeat the, the, the vintage on that? 2013. 13 Pinot. Yes. Yeah. But how big, uh, how big is the vineyard? I mean, how many hectares? Uh, uh, this vineyard is three and a half hectares. Okay. It's but our biggest total, vineyard. Uh, in, in hectares, we're uh, a little under 16 hectares. Okay. Yep. Okay. Small operations. <laughs> Small operation, yeah. but uh, when you have a father that's retired and you've only got your mates who you yeah. play Aussie rules football with <laughs> and uh, yeah. a wife that's now taking over all the accountancy in books, yeah. I've got yeah. more than enough to do to 
to manage the vineyard, make the wine, and, and then sell it. But yeah, because did you take over completely in two thousand and one, or did you? Ah, uh, no. Was so it overlap. Yeah. So two thousand and one was my first year where I started my own brand, Far Rising, and then Dad uh, semi-retired in two thousand and seven, and it wasn't until really two thousand and nine where all the um, responsibility of winemaking and marketing was my own. Sure. Okay. This is a lovely oh, smell in this Pinot. Fantastic perfume, yeah. So the first Pinot which I own from Farside is uh, the black volcanic soil over limestone. And it's um, there's a lot more clay content in this vineyard than there is in the other two, so it holds moisture for a longer period of time. So what we find is it, it ripens uh, more towards um, the end of March. We're picking at the start of April, where Sangria will try next. Uh, it's ripening the end of February. Okay. So there's about a two-to-week two to three week difference in picking dates even though they're only mm-hmm. 300 metres apart so, so a bit fruitier expression or? it is the the red soils are a lot more porous because of the amount of limestone and it's a little bit more uh, sweeter uh, softer fruits where I find the far side is darker fruit spectrum there's a bit more tannin uh, a little bit more vitality because of the acidity that sort of yeah. finishes the wine off I think it's interesting because Australia is so in the forefront with the screw cap uh, yeah. on all the all their wines, but you use natural cork. We do. Yeah. Uh, true believer in in the way that wine evolves under cork. Yeah. And we don't fine or filter our wines, so we. My understanding is that you would have to have it very very sterile, and therefore we'd be stripping character from the wine and not showing a true expression of the site itself. Great. It's beautiful. Mm. Almost like a, a hint of fresh parsley on the nose. It's, it's just so fresh. Yeah. yeah. So, speaking of parsley, <laughs> do you use uh, is a whole cluster? It or? is. Yeah. Yeah. So, rain. It depends on the vintage. There's no sure. recipe as such. Uh, it can range ten to fifteen percent. Uh, more or less, uh, depending on the flavour profile or intensity that we have to work with each vintage. So 13 is quite a fruitful year because we didn't have any rain from the end of October until the middle of January. Yep. Okay. So a very, very fruit-forward vintage for us where 12, there's a lot more complexity and savouriness. Um, so the, there was a higher percentage of whole bunch used in this vintage than ever before. So the far side is 60% whole bunch, the sangria was 70% and the third pinot will try is 100%. So, would you say that if you buy these wines, you should cellar them? Is it? I find that the, I find the far side and sangrail very approachable now. Yeah. And uh, I think they have a great deliciousness to them that will look and evolve uh, quite rapidly over the next sort of five to eight years. Yeah. Where if we were talking about the eleven or twelve vintage, I'd certainly only just start drinking them now and they have the aging potential of at least 10 years yeah so five years is i'm saying five yeah. years because of that long dry spell that we had which we haven't had since uh dad was comparing to 83 uh we think that the ageability may not be as great as other vintages because they were quite stressed the vineyard Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. 
$45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. So uh, the Sangreal. Uh, 2013. Yeah, Sangreal. Yeah. So uh, Dad was reading the Da Vinci Code by Dan Brown and was reading Sangreal, the Holy Blood, the Holy Grail, and he oh, said, yeah. "Hell yeah, I need to call that. <laughs> I need that before someone else yeah. does." So this is the the red volcanic soil. So perhaps a little bit more feminine than the far yeah. side, mm. which has had a more meatiness and, and masculinity to it. But it has a, an amazing richness in the mid palate yeah. that's quite understated but it's this lingering palate structure that just keeps driving the wine and you're forever just more aftertaste more aftertaste where far side had that acidity that just finished yeah. it off and made it quite crisp yeah. i really like the meatiness like blood and flowers yeah. and inky almost so the region our region because the vines uh quite stressed in a in a windy dry environment uh, there's a lot of tannin, there's a lot of structure. So we find that we're having to show the elegant side of the fruit, make them as, as uh, pretty and as perfumed as possible. Mm-hmm. And that's where the whole cluster element comes into it. It's the way that they actually ferment in the tank using whole cluster. So yeah. you're not releasing all the sugar at once. You're not breaking that, that seal between berry and stem. So you get a slight uh, carbonic or intercellular fermentation and it seems to give more elegance, more gaminess, more earthiness in the mm. wine. And with time, you get greater perfume. Yeah, it's... It's lovely. <clears throat> do you have... But you, do you have uh, sort of a philosophy in your winemaking when it comes to f- flavours and stuff? Or just, is it just to make a, as a good tasting wine as possible? Or do you, do you have any other philosophies? The, the philosophy for me is basically to show uh, the region, the country... Um, and more so the site itself. So to, f- to farm tiny pieces of soil on our property, that, that's where I'm so I'm passionate about mm. expressing that site and how different it can be to another site. Yeah. Um, but the only way that I've learnt to do that is travelling to Burgundy to understand why and what they're trying to achieve and how they look at their wines, yeah. particularly in the fermentation process. It's not about going to Burgundy and going, I want to make Burgundy. It's about how they're assessing themselves and how that relates to what, what do I need to look for more in my own vineyards, in my own soil, in my own climate. So yeah. we want to express Pinot Noir of an Australian nature, but we certainly want to have freshness and acidity and drive as great Burgundian wines do yeah. wherever great Pinot is produced. But um, when I go over there, it's never about the fruit component of the wine. It's always about the tannin structure and the acidity that wines have mm. and how to make that more detailed. Mm. 
and you can really sense it in your wines as well. It's a good translation. Yes, I think, I think that's where there's an earthiness and a savoriness that shows through, and they're not necessarily viewed as typically Australian wines because of that that element. But the fact that people can put their nose over our bottles now and recognise it as a far wine, yeah. that just whether they like it or not, that's the biggest compliment you can ask for is they can recognise it as a producer. Yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah. This is really, really good. So, really, really good. moving on to the, the Shiraz. Toupre? Toupre Pinot? Yes. Yeah. Oh, sorry, yeah. We had um, the third Pinot. The third, third Pinot. Pinot, and this is what? Less. Also thir- 13? Yes. And, uh, and the name is? Toupre. Toupre. So, very close or very cosy in French, and this is in relation to the vine density. So, ah. the first two Pinots are 2,500 vines per hectare. This is 7,500 vines per hectare. Okay. So what we find is we get the same amount of fruit per hectare, but uh, using almost three times as many vines, we're getting a lot smaller bunches, smaller berries. So the average bunch weight is 80 to 100 grams, where the other two vineyards is more like 160 to 240. So therefore the skin and juice ratio is far greater in two prey. There's more complexity, more richness, and therefore it handles more whole bunch. So this is... 100% 100% whole bunch, 100% new oak, and it's just amazing the power and the integration of new oak, how yeah. well it's actually absorbed it. Where far side at 60%, yeah. I think, shows more of those elements of a slight bit more spicy herbaceousness and a little bit more oak influence of mm. tannin. Mm. Two prey at 100 just loves it. You can almost sense it in the density when you swear it in the glass. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, wow. There's almost like Some earthy, almost yeah. stalky yeah. smell to it. It's very nice. Very nice. It's darker in color too, right? It is. Mm. Well, I'm not spitting that. <laughs> <laughs> I just find it's a lot more layered. Uh, yeah. Where far side you can see initial fruit, it has good balance of acidity and oak. Sangreal has that underlying richness yeah. which just follows through all the way to the end of the palate. Toupre is a little bit of co- combination of both, but it's just a lot more delicate, finely tuned, layer upon layer upon layer of flavour yeah. and also those finer tannins that um, sort of set it apart from the other two Pinots. You can really, really sense the ageing potential as well. Yeah. yeah. Wonderful aftertaste. It just comes in, in, in different waves. of yeah. Uh, yeah. So this vineyard is at the top of the far side vineyard where you have black volcanic soil feeding away um, to the north and more to the northeast. To east you have a red volcanic soil with quartz gravel and then to the south, you've got uh, the grey sandy loams with buckshot, which is an ironstone. So mm. it's only a hectare. It's definitely the most challenging site, but the most challenging sites for any Chardonnay and Pinot around the world are always the most interesting ones. Sure. But which one is, which of the vineyards have the oldest vines? The Sangreal. The Sangreal. Yeah. Okay. So it will be very interesting to follow it in the future. It yeah. drinks, yeah. It, 2000, 2001 are drinking yeah. fantastically well. Cool. So... We're really excited that if we can make this style of wine um, with vines that are sort of only 15 to 20 years of age, yeah. uh, the next 20 years are going to be fairly yeah. impressive. Yeah. Right? yeah, indeed. Wow. Indeed. That was a great trio. Yeah, super. super now, good. onto something else. That, that we love. Yeah, We're we are sort big of the Syrah Sweetest, lovers. biggest Syrah lovers. <laughs> <laughs> no. Yeah. What about Shiraz? Made from a Pinot producer, though. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds like great. It too. Yeah. <laughs> There's some Pinot here. We love Pinot as well, so yeah. <laughs> not a problem. 
But you said it's uh, a little bit Viognier in this one. Well there is. There's four percent Viognier. So what we find oh, in the cooler vintages oh. of uh, of Geelong, we get a hole in the middle palate of Shiraz, and the Viognier is just there to fill that middle palate, add a little bit more perfume, and then just rounds off the tannin structure yeah. at the end. Yeah, it's quite powerful. Yeah. You find um, I love those like the smoky, uh, yeah, meaty game, game, salty. Yeah, yeah. yeah. First, first I feel the, the sort of sweet fruit, but the 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 the, the, the spice and the pepper is mm. just yeah, coming up mm. behind it. Mm. So we're trying to encourage uh, as much spice or perhaps black pepper as possible. We find if we go down the white pepper spectrum of more typical sort of uh, cool climate Shiraz, it just becomes too dominating on the nose and sometimes on the palate. So that sort of spice leading to sort of really dark cocoa chocolate. Mm. Um, mm. And then the Viognier just fills your mouth, just lines the mouth a little bit more. Mm. This is great. And the tannins are really like grainy. Oh, yeah. Mm. Great. Oh. Could we please order a, a, a nice piece of, a piece of meat for this? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. It's definitely made in a Pinot-esque sense where mm. we're looking yeah. to make it as delicate and as earthy as possible a little bit of gaminess mm. uh, but it, it's the same process it's open top fermenters uh, pigeage three times a day and and then just continually looking at the ferments uh, looking for tannin structure trying to decide whether or not to push a little bit more to yeah. come back whether to press it um, yeah it's an evolution yeah. whenever we pick new fruit it's uh, I basically give myself a scorecard of 100 and every time I touch it, you lose a point. So if I can end up with a score of 90, I know it's a really good wine. Yeah. If we have some reductive characters or there's something not quite ideal where we may have to pump over a ferment or uh, we think we need to add more oak than we should because it doesn't quite have structure, uh, you end up with a score of maybe 80 and okay. it's a mm. mediocre wine. So That's a, that's a good rating system. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And except for this wine that we have tasted now, you make a Gamay as well? Yes. Oh, you do. Tending to, uh, Gamay seems to be the next big thing in Australia. Really? So okay. really, I love drinking aged Beaujolais in particular. Yeah. I think it just, uh, some of the, the good stuff can look like a fantastic sort of Premier Cru, Nuit St. George, wow. uh, Pinot Noir, and just the feel that it has in your mouth, the elegance, the softness is fantastic. So... Uh, trying to make Gamay that is very fruitful but has ageability. We've grafted it onto some Cabernet vines we planted in, okay. in 99. And Gamay has a tendency to overcrop, but Cabernet doesn't. So I think it's going to be a good mix to just keep the crop levels where we want them. And uh, we've planted them onto some volcanic rock and some quartz gravel. So not quite what Beaujolais is, but certainly hoping to get a sort of mineral component yeah. from those soil types. Yeah. That sounds interesting, indeed. But are, are you? Uh, is it available in Sweden? Any of these? these Not ones? at the moment. Not at but moment. if the so agent has his way, I think he's <laughs> keen on having some. But uh, the the, um, the price range, uh, speaking maybe euros or uh, I don't know where, where the Australian dollar is. <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea. Australian dollars, I can tell you. Oh, uh, Australian dollars. Uh, the Pinots are around $70, 70 yeah. to $80. Uh, the Shiraz is, is 60 Chardonnay Viognier around the same price. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Yeah, we could just uh, get some information here. That, uh, <laughs> the price range is in Swedish. Kruvnur is like from 399 up to 
five ninety nine, some something like yeah, that. Yeah, for the two pre, which yeah. is the, the third wine in the Pinot. Which is really yeah. reasonable. Yeah, for the aging potential yeah, yeah. as well. Yeah, yeah. It's great, great stuff. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> We're very happy that you took the time to meet us. Yes. Thank you. Uh, it was lovely privilege to, to taste, taste your wines and to meet you. Holland yeah. goes far as can't you? Privilege, yeah. but no. Uh, yeah, it was. It you was. share good wine with yeah. good yeah. people, it's always fun. Fantastic. Yeah. Thank, Thank, you, Thank you very much. much. Cheers. Thank you. Cheers. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.